Whoa, man. We're going to rehearse it a couple more times? No, we're good. <laughs> Are you sure? Absolutely not. We don't like it when you get it first take. It makes the rest of us look bad. Oh, well. <laughs> doesn't happen Which often. Doesn't, uh, okay, <laughs> Beat I was, you to it. <laughs> I was going to say that. Punk. I was, was going to say that. <laughs> it's not hard to do. I was going to make a completely different joke, but oh, I like well. yours better because it insults you, not me. Uh-huh. This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Flurry, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter. Mm, only one banter today. I got <laughs> attitude today. Banter. <laughs> <laughs> Live with it. Adolescent uh, banter. Uh, my name is Rob Minot. Joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. I'm cranky today. Yeah, well, we'll get to Thank that. Thank you, Microsoft. We'll get to that. <laughs> uh, and uh, Steve Barkley. Banter. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I'd ask how your Monday's going, but crap, both, both of you guys <laughs> not not doing well. No, mine's all right. Mine's okay. Yeah, Captain Format over there. <laughs> I mean, what do you? So you want to tell people what you did? Oh, it's a long story. Like, but tell them it's my it's, hard drive is a terabyte hard drive, and it was about four hundred gigabytes of data that I could not find anywhere on my system where that four hundred gigabytes was coming from. I had nothing on there. Everything's on my external drive. Porn. No, no porn either. So I actually removed all my OneDrive files, thinking, well, maybe they synced to my computer somewhere to a hidden folder. And when I did that, the data jumped to 700 gigabytes of my hard drive being used. I went, this, and I went into Microsoft Windows, and I said, format, erase everything, start again. Okay, let's put that on pause for a second. Yeah, so it, now it, keep it, in mind, else? every keep in mind, everybody, he's doing this at seven a.m. on on the podcast recording day. Yeah. I have to give a shout out though to Microsoft Seeing AI because without that reading my screen, I would have known the progress. Right. Okay. Yeah. Any, so anybody else just thinking, gee, did you empty your recycle bin? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, did yeah, all that. that temp files, disk cleanup, recycle bin. Didn't do squat. I, I mean, what goes through my head immediately is just like, this sounds like... Ryan of old? Well, but it just it sounds, it sounds a lot like, like Ryan of old. It sounds like a weekend project. Thanks for pro- calling Rob this time. <laughs> it sounds like a, a weekend project. You, you had or a demo a, this morning. <laughs> a project for maybe on a day where you don't need the computer to record a podcast. I but thought that's of that. Just me, but I thought of that. But it's like, it was just... I was on, I was just, I had the glimmer in my eye and I had to do it. Yeah, I couldn't I know. fight the urge. You know? Yeah, I know. Had to do it. But I had a backup just in case. Uh huh. We did. We had a backup system ready so, to go. So, anyways, tell the fine people what happened after that. So you reformatted, thinking so what? That it was going to take like an hour. I think it. No, I figured probably two, maybe three. Uh huh. And here it is, almost two thirty Pacific time, and we still don't have keyboards working. <laughs> so we're not done yet. Right. So thank it, you, Microsoft. 
Anyway, well, I don't know. I like <laughs> as much as I love to jump on the let's slag Microsoft well, let's bandwagon. Well, your Microsoft it, experience I don't last even, week. Well, I don't want to talk about my Microsoft. My Microsoft experience has well, been the on. same one. Did I miss a memo? No, it's just that. Well, my computer tried to update my computer again. Oh, it tried to force me that update that that my hardware work. my hardware doesn't like, and it just the, the update locks every time, and then I got to roll it back. So it kills an afternoon. Thank you, Microsoft, for not giving us the option to opt out of updates. Oh, don't even get me started. But no, <laughs> let's don't, stop trying to, to divert from your story okay. because... It's all about me. Anyway, so I had to come over early and help try yeah. to get this thing set up. Well, we got it uh, somewhat six, functional. Six, seven hours later, but... Thank you, Microsoft, for the on-screen keyboard because that helped us out a lot. It did. It helped us out See? a hell of a lot. Throw them I, under the bus and then bring them back out. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's, that's that's my day so far. That's, that's been our Monday so far. Yep. Um, anyways, Ryan, uh, what are we doing today? Today we are speaking with CEO Sophie Alatis from Key to Access. Uh, interesting. Really? 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 Now, you know, the Key to Access, you want to give people a, a no. brief overview of... <laughs> no? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Need a keyboard for that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pass that one off to Steve. No, well, you know, we we first heard about Key to Access uh, back in the summertime when when CNIB released that uh, press release about how they were going to be working with Ira. Yep. And Key to Access was another company that they listed as as being a, a new partner for them, uh, and that's where we first heard about them. Um, but as it turns out, they're uh, they're the developer of a, you know, it's both hardware and software. It's not just an app, but right. it's essentially it's it's hardware that can be placed in existing, I guess, traffic in infrastructure. Uh, you know, into the um, what do you call those sort of things? Cross light standards, right? Uh, that makes the makes it, the button almost wireless or wireless of well, it does in some it, way, shape, or form. Yeah, it makes it so that the crossing button you don't have you you can actually access those controls from uh, yeah. an app. So that you're not sort of fumbling around and, and looking for the the button, or in the case of say people with with uh, who are in chairs, you know sometimes you know they're unable to reach those buttons. But it looks like you can also like you can also do things like even open um, you know um, accessible doors, like automatic doorways without having to trip trip a sensor. You can actually open it with the app um, as well. So. And a bunch of other things it, it, from the looks of it. So it'll be interesting to talk to uh, to Sophie and, and sort of get the the full story on on uh, how the app was developed and, and where they're going. And I, I mean, I can I can only imagine the nightmare that it probably is to actually get these things into the municipalities because well, they've got quite a, a list started anyway. It sounds like a lot of work ongoing. Yeah, well, for sure. Well, I can just imagine every municipality is going to be different, mm -hmm. and they probably have different bylaws, and you're you're working with you know individual. Um, governments in in different in all the different cities, so it's probably you know a lot of balls to have in the air. So, be interesting to to hear what she has to say. Balls in the air, banter. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stu twenty five, still no baby what? shark do 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 baby shark do 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 do. Got to stop or I'll get sued. Uh, By who? What song is that? <laughs> You've never heard Baby Shark? I don't think so. I've only oh, heard it once. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> is this an old song? No, it's a new song that kind of went viral, like 2 billion views on YouTube. Like yeah. that, Kind of like the song. hamster dance? Uh, yeah, sort of, yeah. It's, yeah, it's almost as ridiculous. Yeah. I see. Yeah. 
I really want to hear the hamster dance now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hamster dance. Where have you gone? Okay. Play the hamster dance. playing self-destruct <laughs> actually we've never tried that <laughs> i know right they should take self-destruct self-destructing in three two one well thanks steve Actually, I think I'll stick around <laughs> damn good his google engineers thought of everything Segway. Hello? There you are. Hi, Sophie. How are you? Hi, good and you. Good, thank you. So, I'm Ryan. Hi. And Hi, Ryan. In the room with me, I have Mr. Steve Barclay. Hello there. Hi, Steve. And I have Rob Minot. Uh, why am I always last? You're not always last. Yeah, you do. Because you always introduce me last. You're first in our mind, therefore you're <laughs> last in introductions. That's the last. <laughs> well, let's not go that far. <laughs> Hello, in any case. So first of all, I mean, we uh, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today and, and talking us, to us a little bit about uh, Key to Access. My pleasure. We're, we're very happy to. So maybe let's start with just telling us a little bit about, about the company and what you guys are doing. Sure. Um, so Key to Access is a Canadian startup. Um, we originally kind of built off an idea uh, that started off with something small. We saw a newspaper article actually of a gentleman in a wheelchair reaching out to press the pedestrian push button and literally almost falling out of his chair and was still, you know, um, a foot away from that button because it wasn't a, a bed of grass. And we started thinking, my co-founders and I, how, how, how is this possible? Like, what options does this gentleman have? Um, and so that kind of was just in the back of our minds. And then one of our co-founders um, uh, became friends with a gentleman that was completely blind. And we were just spitballing this stuff with him and asking him really, what, from your experience, you know, how do you navigate with infrastructure? And it was a pivotal moment for us where we decided to become a company. He explained that, you know, at the intersection and this is in Montreal, um, where we don't have a lot of audible signals. He said, you know, I don't even waste my time looking for a button that may or may not be there, that may or may not give me an audible. So I just wait till it's silent enough and I bolt it. And we just couldn't believe that this was the condition for a lot of Canadian citizens and most people aren't even aware. Um, and so with modern technology, there's no reason why we can't make infrastructure work for everyone. And the way that we do that as a business is instead of making that button a one size fit all, which 
will never be. We want to give every person their own button. And we do that through wireless pedestrian requesting. Um, and the individual has either a free mobile app on their phone where they can make a call and get an audible signal if that is important to them. Um, or uh, through a fob. So really they manage their experience at the intersection in a way that works for them and we make sure that they get confirmation every step of the way of what's happening, what street is being crossed, as well as an audible countdown um, and really making sure that everything that a sighted person has access to, that a visually impaired person has access to, and a mobility impaired person um, as well. So by not being able to reach that button, you're not able to make a call and you're not able to get across. So really just making sure that our city streets are accessible for everyone. So that's kind of the, the story behind our, um, our company. Um, we're also a family business. So it's myself, my sister, and uh, our father. So the three of us kind of combining our, our skill sets to get uh, kind of get behind accessibility and try to improve, um, improve our city streets. So how long has the company actually been in existence? Um, so we incorporated at kind of um, at the time where we had the idea. So I, that was in 2014. Um, it took us a few years to refine the idea into a product. Right. And we did that really hand in hand with the community. So um, with different user groups, uh, mainly Ottawa based, um, we looked at, okay, you know, what are... The different challenges that you're facing today. So um, a little bit of an example of um, an evolution that we did over those few years of, you know, from the idea to the product that we have today is with that, we simply had the fob. And it was through working with um, this uh, blind gentleman, he's legally blind. He was saying, hey, look, I use my phone for everything can we not maybe put this on my phone so I don't have to carry something additional? Um, so that's the kind of technological developments that we were making at the time. And I would say we were ready to go to market with a complete solution from the user's perspective um, in 2016. And then we started doing pilot projects across the country. We have a pilot project in Ottawa, Montreal, Brassard, and Winnipeg. Um, and we should be having a few installations in Halifax by the end of the year. So we're very excited about that and really getting the word out about, you know, uh, what this technology can do and not only how it can better service pedestrians, but also the cities who are struggling to make infrastructure more accessible. And we're really targeting many of the issues that they're facing today with uh, APS technology and the complaints that they're getting that a button on the pole will never solve. So um, we've had quite the journey to get where we are today, um, but we've been really happy with the steps that we've taken to ensure that what we have coming to market really suits um, the user's needs. And that's, um, you know, a, an iterative process that we believe should be ongoing. So that's something that through our pilot projects and through our, our working with different cities and, and, you know, a, a growing user group, we want to continue to learn what is it that we can improve on? What is it that's meaningful to the community? Um, and that's, you know, other examples of that is simply, I mean, even the color, um, and contrast of our fobs, you know, 
things like that, that uh, we really want to make sure that we, we continue to grow and, and continue to take that approach. So so could you walk us through a little bit, like sort of a, a bit of a case study? So, so somebody who's, say, visually impaired that has the app on their phone, um, they, they reach or they're, or they're approaching an intersection. How exactly does, does the app work for them? What are they able to do with it? Great question. I think um, maybe if we take a step back just to fully understand what the experience with Kita Access is, I think sure. sometimes it's important to talk about step-by-step step what happens without Kita Access today. So um, we talked a little bit about, you know, the situation that inspired us of a gentleman in a wheelchair not being able to make contact with the button um, and not being able to reach it because the pole was at a bed of grass. But for a visually impaired pedestrian, the experience is a lot more cumbersome. I mean, um, for many reasons, not only finding and reaching the button, but there are quite a few layers of, of interaction with, with the infrastructure that as a site person, um, we can sometimes take for granted. So if you picture a visually impaired pedestrian walking down the sidewalk, what's important to note is that as, um, as a visually impaired pedestrian is using the curb of the sidewalk to align themselves. As soon as they hit that dip in the curb when they're at the intersection, they're in their best possible position for alignment because they've had that follow through from the sidewalk to the dip, so they know their angle. Now, what having a button on a pole is asking us, or is asking the, that pedestrian to do is veer their body from that perfect alignment, even if it's just 10 degrees to touch a button on a pole, right. to have them turn back around, realign themselves and situate themselves before it's their turn to walk is an extremely cumbersome exercise. And it requires um, an extremely detailed um, sense of alignment that not everybody has. And, you know, even if you uh, we've heard from individuals that have been blind for you know over 10 years, and that still remains a struggle because the only thing that they have to situate their alignment is that curb and then the sound of traffic. So the sound of traffic is very dependent on what kind of traffic is available at that time. So just veering from that initial alignment to make your way to the button and then to make your way back is, is uh, the first issue. Now, the second issue is inconsistency in the environment. So every intersection in most cities don't have um, one solution. You know, it takes forever to deploy uh, uh, a, a one particular product. So often a city is kind of an amalgamation of different approaches. So you could have one intersection that has no button at all. So, you know, the cycle will change whether or not you're standing there but because there's no button, that visually impaired individual won't get an audible. How are you going to make the audible? How are you going to request the audible without a button? So that's challenge number one. So even if you veer, make your way to the pole, find a pole, is there or is there not going to be a button there? Challenge number two, is the button going to request an audible? What are the, um, the conditions in which that call is going to ask for an audible? Is it 
holding the button for three seconds? Is it holding the button for five seconds? What is the confirmation that you've made a call effectively or not? So this whole kind of layer of uncertainty at the call is a at the second major pain point. So, you know, the individual gets there, they press the button, they think they've made a call, they've managed to realign themselves at the curb before it's their turn to cross, and they end up waiting there two, three minutes to realize, hey, mm, I don't think I pressed it effectively and have to do the whole exercise again. So that's issue number two. Issue number three um, is during the walk phase. So when it's your turn to walk, if you have made it to the poll, made the call effectively, requested the audible, and now you're gonna get the audible, the issue remains of an audible sound traditionally in our environment today. Um, you probably, and listeners have probably heard a kind of chirping sound or or a beeping sure. sound or in some places in Canada it's called the Canadian melody it's a little bit of a uh, kind of techno melody a little bit Sing it for um, us. <laughs> what that delineates is north south versus east west now tell me you know how many intersections are exactly north south or exactly east west so we're asking people to understand which direction they need to be going in and if that is the street that they've requested based on a sound that delineates north, north, south, or east, west. It's extremely difficult. Right. If that person isn't trained, you know, on the intersection that they're standing at, it's, it's almost impossible to make that crossing effectively with the button and all these different layers that we've gone through. Now, the audible is not only limiting because it's simply, um, expresses whether or not the street is north, south, or east, west, but also in most municipalities, the sound completely turns off as soon as there's a countdown. Right. So what happens today for um, sighted individuals that are listening, when you see the walking man go on, you're going to hear the audible. As soon as that walking man turns into a visual countdown or the flashing red hand, which is usually halfway through the crossing, right? the audible is completely cut off. So that person that is using the audible, one, to let them know it's their turn, and two, to help guide them through that crossing because they use the sound on both sides to make sure they get to the other side effectively. Again, with that alignment issue, they're completely cut off. And they have no idea, is it because I have no more time left? Is it because we're at, you know, a, the there's a countdown going on? They have no idea and they're in the middle of their crossing, which is the most terrifying place to be in because there's no tactile point of reference in the middle of the road. So the audible uh, information that's communicated isn't sufficient and the length of the audible isn't sufficient. So, you know, from the reaching and pressing the button, understanding if you've pressed the button for the right street, if you made the call effectively, all of those issues at the button, and getting an audible response that's gonna effectively get you to the other side safely are the three major challenges that we're addressing with key to access. Right. So now that we've kind of gone through the experience without and the experience today, um, let me talk to you a little bit about, and really what your question was, um, <laughs> what the experience is with key to access. Okay. So, that same individual walking down the sidewalk using you know the curb to align themselves as soon as they hit that dip in the curb they're going to get a ping on their cell phone automatically letting them know exactly where they are that they've reached an intersection so for example 
Um, name me your favorite intersection. And Steve, what's your favorite intersection here in Vancouver? Jeez, Georgia and Granville. <clears throat> Georgia and Granville. Okay. Um, so they get to that dip in the curb and they hear Georgia and Grandle. Great. Not only are they getting that added piece of information confirming where they are, which even as a sighted person, yeah. sometimes it can be confusing. You get off the bus at the wrong stop. You think you're at a certain intersection, but you're not, um, you know, someone dropped you off or there's so many different things that can happen to disorient an individual that knowing where they are is key. So Georgia and Grandle. Great. Second thing that they'll hear, and this is again, without being prompted, it's just gonna happen automatically. So they hear Georgia and Grandel, and then any additional information that is key to them making a crossing safely. For example, Georgia Street is under construction, please use Grandel Crossing and alternative route of X, hmm. for example. So in this, let's say Georgia and Grandel is you know perfectly uh, accessible, there is no additional messaging required. When they hear Georgia and Grandel, they're gonna get two buttons that pop up on their screen. The first one will be Georgia, and the second one will be Grandel, always in the order that it was read out to you. Now, obviously the layout works using voiceover, and the buttons almost take up the entire screen. So there are two massive buttons that are black with white writing, and they turn red once pressed. So the contrast is quite um, significant, but again, they work using voiceover. So that person hasn't moved an inch. They haven't altered their alignment at all, and they have the button in their hand. They know they're at Georgia and Grandel. All they have to do is request. Let's say they request Georgia Street, so they want to cross Georgia. Once they press Georgia, it's going to tell them, request for Georgia is made. So no more is there any confusion as to, did I press the right button? Did I make the call effectively? They know they've placed a call, and now they're waiting for their audible. So when it's their turn to cross, they're going to get every second of that crossing because they're ready to go as soon as it's their turn. Now, when it is their turn, two things are going to happen. They're going to get the traditional audible signal coming from the infrastructure as we're used to it today, and that's for two reasons. One is because we do believe it serves a secondary purpose of warning the environment that someone that's crossing needs this sound. And two, this is how um, the visually impaired community is trained today in order to make the crossing. So they're going to hear that audible signal, but their phone is also going to vibrate and tell them crossing Georgia. So what's very powerful about that kind of secondary confirmation is if both crossings were requested at the same time and that individual doesn't know that someone else requested an audible for the other side, it can be very confusing with ambient noise and everything going on in our cities today to figure out, is that call for me? And you know, do, do I go with this and make out the difference in between both sounds? So now when the audible goes off and you get the vibration in your hand, you know that that audible is for the call that you've made. Now, we get the traditional audible during the walk phase, but we've also added a uh, audible countdown for during the flash don't walk, the flashing hand or the, audio, the visual countdown. We wanna make sure that that information is also accessible to a visually impaired individual. So everything that a sighted person gets, a visually impaired individual gets. So they get the sound the entire way through the crossing and they're able to use that sound to make it to the other side. So that's 
the experience at an intersection with key to access. Now, there's a few other things that maybe I should mention sure. that are interesting about the technology um, when it comes to accessibility is we have three ways of making the call. So it may not be relevant in Vancouver because you guys don't get that much snow, but I know for other Canadian cities, um, it's a big deal. So, you know, uh, our pilot project in Winnipeg, and actually this is where we got the idea. Um, someone told us oh, in the winter months, I don't really want to take my phone out and take off my glove to press my phone. Hmm. So we've also added um, the up volume and down volume button as a way to make a call. So when you hear Georgia and Grandel, Georgia will be the up volume button and Grandel will be the down volume button. Now, another thing that we've added as well as a third way to make a call is voice command. So you can simply ask your phone uh, wow. across Georgia Street, which is another layer of accessibility that has never been um, put in place before. Imagine, you know, you're not only maybe visually impaired, but you have um, extreme uh, an extreme mobility impairment. So either paralysis or something right. that would not allow you to physically make a request. So this is opening the door to a lot of people that wouldn't have had access in the past. So we're really trying to think of every single type of individual and not only, you know, um, the, because oftentimes what we see is uh, when we talk about the visually and mobility impaired community, people picture either someone with a white cane or someone in a wheelchair. But what we want to educate is there's such a range of individuals that may not um, at first glance seem like they need uh, a different type of, of response, but they do. I mean, if you have, let's say, Parkinson's, um, just even something that might impact your reach or you've broken your leg and you're on crutches and it's difficult for you to make your way to that button, really, you know, um, if, if we want to solve this, we have to think about uh, every type of individual, and that's what we try to do with those three types of requesting. Uh, another thing that's interesting is cities today get an enormous amount of complaints, which is really sad to talk about, actually, um, about the audible signals. So, you know, residents, local businesses are very bothered by this reoccurring audible sound that oftentimes is going on and there's nobody there that actually needs it. So hmm. these people are, you know, bothered by this, this noise pollution. So the city turns down the volume at the intersection, but then a, a visually impaired hmm. person gets there and they're trying to use it and it's not meaningful to them because they can't hear it anymore. So then nobody's happy. Right. So what we're able to do with the mobile app is when you download it, you select which type of profile you are, depending on, what um, what response you want from the infrastructure. So if you're someone that simply has a mobility impairment and you can't make contact with that button, you don't need the audible to get across. You simply just need that button in your hand. So by selecting the, the mobility impaired profile, you won't have the audible. But if you select visually impaired and you want that audible, we're gonna make sure you get it at every intersection where you need it and that it is uh, meaningfully loud. So we're able to tell the city, hey, let's make this louder for those who need it and ensure that it is actually useful for them, but also eliminate all the other times that it's not required. Right. And give you a data log of every time it's been called and you know, really 
show that this was a visually impaired individual crossing so that when you do get a complaint, you can easily say, you know, ma'am, at 1125, there was a visually impaired individual crossing and that's why you heard it. So also re-educating mm. the population as to what that audible does and how important it is, we think is really key as well. So that's kind of from start to finish, yeah. everything that the user would get um, with key to access. Can we break down sort of the components of key to access for a minute? Um, obviously the app is, is, is the front end, is, is the user experience. Tell us a little bit about, about the back end though and the, the actual hardware uh, that's involved and what the process is for say a municipality to bring this into their existing traffic infrastructure? Sure. Um, so as you mentioned, the uh, mobile app is the user interface. There's that as well as the fob, depending on what the individual prefers. Um, both of those connect using Bluetooth to what we call the K2A receiver. It's basically um, kind of the size of I would say a little bit more than half of a VHS. It's a little black box. Right. Um, and that gets plugged directly into the pedestrian signal head, which is the box at the in intersection that has the walking man and the flashing hand. Right. It goes directly in there and plugs into their existing power source, plugs into, um, depending on which type of intersection they have, what configuration they have, directly into um, their intersection system. So if they have um, an APS already, which is an accessible pedestrian signal button, so the kind of fancier push buttons right. um, that have an audible, we'll plug in directly to that. If they have just a regular button that has no audible, we'll also plug into that and we'll provide them with a speaker. If they have no button at all. So what that usually means is that the intersection is on a cycle. Right. So it'll just change no matter what. If there's no car or no person sit standing there, it'll it'll alternate based on some statistical analysis that they have of the intersection. We plug into that, also add a speaker, and what that does is for an inter that intersection would never be made accessible because there's no there's no button or audible. What when the user makes the call at that intersection. So from their perspective, it's the exact same interface. You know, let's say Georgia and Randall was a cycling intersection. Right. Um, they get there, they're still going to see their two buttons and they're basically going to be requesting for an audible. So what our box does is it reads when, let's say they've requested Georgia, it's going to read when Georgia is on next and play that audible for them. Um, so, we really complement any type of um, intersection design. That was really key for us when developing something for the user. We wanted to make sure that this was something that they can use in the same way everywhere. Because right. it's that it's so difficult to learn all these different types of intersection designs. The poles are in different places. Um, you know, even just have something having something by request or that's going to cycle. That inconsistency we wanted to eliminate from the user's perspective. Now, from the city's perspective, it's important. I mean, they have those intersections designed that way for vehicles for a reason. You know, it helps the flow for the city and all of that. So um, we wanted to make sure that we were providing them a product that allowed them to keep their intersections configured in a way that was um, appropriate for their city design, but also gave the user a meaningful way to, to, to cross the street. So that little black box um, for a 
let's say traditional four-way crossing intersection, you would need four black boxes, so one per corner. They support both crossings. So um, in the way that you would have at one pole, two buttons, right? One going Georgia and one going Grandel. One black box can support both of those intersections, uh, both of those crossings. So four black boxes per intersection. Um, what the city also gets with this, and we talked a little bit about it, is that data. So understanding, right. you know, the movement of their pedestrians, what areas are um, especially important for this community. So when they're spending additional accessibility uh, monies in, let's say, ramps or or other projects that they have going on, they're able to deploy that money in an area that is more meaningful to the population, which they've never had that data before. So um, we're able to, with that, kind of really answer the needs that the city has. Another one we talked about was the complaints on on, uh, on audibles. So with that black box, we're really trying to answer kind of their issues as well um, in an easy, you know, plug-in way um, that is also agnostic really to whatever button provider they have or, or system design they have. Um, so from the city perspective, it's a very easy add-on that really just elevates their service um, to their citizens. How do, you, uh, how do you go about marketing this? How do, how do cities find out about your product? Yeah, so um, um, that's my that's my that's my everyday uh, my everyday <laughs> challenge. Um, cities are are an interesting uh, landscape to yeah. be doing business uh, in. The main thing I think that's important for us. So we have an official partnership with the CNIB as the pedestrian. Um, the accessible pedestrian system that they're they're officially recommending to cities. So what we like to do, and we think it's even just beneficial for any project that the city would have with us, is bring them to the table. So they often have um, uh, their contacts within the city, and we sit down the three of us and discuss, you know, what are the issues, the local issues that CNIB clients are having, you know, how how the city feels about you know their current accessible system. Um, and, and, you know, where they see that it can be improved and us. So that's a good point of entry for us, um, because we feel it really is meaningful to have that initial conversation be client-based and with the local perspective, that's one thing. Um, a second, uh, interesting point of entry, you know, in the era of, smart city design and innovation and entrepreneurship. A lot of cities have come to know us through different um, startup uh, communities. So for example, in Montreal, we did the city of Montreal official incubator. So that allowed them to get to know us because uh, that is the biggest challenge for a small startup selling to um, the public sector. So whether it's municipality or the federal government, uh, it's very difficult yeah. to exist in a world where sales cycles are extremely long and, and complex. Um, these types of, you know, entrepreneurship type venues are catered to 
our type of, of business construct. So that has been another right. interesting point of entry. And a lot of what we do is really going and meeting with the city in person and giving them a demo um, is really meaningful. And then as well as, you know, all the traditional stuff when it comes to, you know, tech fairs and, and um, sure. industry, I mean, everything to do with traffic type conferences and all of that were as present as possible in, in all the, uh, um, I guess, relevant in the relevant spaces. And uh, the more they see us in these different types of environments, the more they start asking questions and you never know where a lead can come from. So sure. um, we try to get out there as much as possible. Well, you've hit the big time now. You're on the AT Banter podcast, so clearly, <laughs> clearly, get ready tomorrow. Your phones are going to be ringing off the hook. Um, there you go. There we, you go. We call it the AT Banter bump. Is that what we call it? No, we, what <laughs> is we that do what now. this? Are you talking about my paunch again? That's what I call my AT Banter bump. No, that's the AT Banty Banter baby bump. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but you know, given that um, the, the the partnership with the CNIB must have really helped you guys out. I mean, because that's a that's a seems to be a, to me a perfect fit for you guys. Definitely, definitely, um, and not only from, you know the actual integrity of our product and making sure that it works with their clients. Um, but also, I mean, it's an amazing organization. They're one of the only, you know, non-for-profits that are alive and well across the country. They service their clients, not only in, um, you know, rehab, but just in lifestyle, in, in life skills, um, community uh, events, like they do amazing work. And I think they really bring also um, an interesting collaborative kind of perspective. So they've partnered with a few other uh, companies that are really interesting in this space that are really promoting the uh, visually impaired clients to be more mobile friendly um, and or getting them on smartphones and, and showing them, you know, all the possibilities that that technology um, can bring to their lives. So a few other companies that they have now uh, partnered with is Blind Square and Ira. Right. Super interesting technologies. And for us, what we really see is something that's, Kind of very beneficial um, for for you know our clients as well as those other businesses clients is this idea of we're a network of solutions that a, a, a CNIB client can go to the CNIB and be trained on you know these three different types of products that cohesively go together um, so it's not burdensome on them to have to you know learn and okay this this place there's this company in this place there's this company so there's kind of this cohesive approach that i think is really uh amazing and for a non-for-profit to be doing um really thinking outside the box and not just you know doing rehab but strategically thinking how can we better help uh our our clients and 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 doing that through something that is more um innovative and and you know, forward thinking and partnering with industry, I think is amazing. And uh, we've only had, you know, the best experience working from them. And what's super interesting is now we've traveled across the country. We actually just came back from BC oh. um, over the weekend. 
Um, so well, you picked all a, of the you, off, pardon? You picked a great weekend to come here. It was beautiful this weekend. Oh my God. It was beautiful. It didn't rain at all. We nope. went to Victoria too. It was amazing. Yeah. You picked, you picked the right month. Next month won't be, won't be <laughs> nearly as fun. Yeah, well, next month in Montreal is definitely not going to be fun. So. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, going across the country also to meet with their local staff uh, has been really an experience. And what's particularly, I would say, unique and, and fascinating about their organization is they have a corporate culture, you know, across the nation, you go to any CNIB office and you feel that it's the same and you get the same, you know, uh, energy and enthusiasm and, uh, they, they're, they're a powerhouse and we're so happy to be working with them. Let me ask you a little bit about, about the working with all the different cities and municipalities, because it seems to me that that must be a real challenge because anytime you're stepping into to local bureaucracy and politics, do, do all the different cities and municipalities work differently? Like, is it kind of a challenge? Like, it's sort of like a, a, a new, you know, a new, a new challenge every time you sit down and meet with a, a different one? Or do they all pretty much work the same? I would say... Sounds like a loaded question. Yes. And I would say yes to both of your comments. <laughs> um, how I would describe it is you kind of have reoccurring themes, um, but every city is definitely unique and they have their, you know, uh, meaning issues that are meaningful to them that mm. may not be meaningful to um other cities. So you really have to get to know that city, uh, get to know, you know, their community, get to know their local CNIB office and their clients, because the angle that is most meaningful to them. And, it, you know, even just through describing our product, we do so many things. Some things are more meaningful to some communities versus other things are more meaningful to other communities. For example, um, in Montreal, a big thing is, uh, so, they don't have many audible signals. Um, and when people press the uh, button to get the audible, they get added time. So it, it recognizes that that individual needs or will likely need more time. But what ends up happening is the general public is pressing the button for too long and they're getting extended time. And that's kind of messing up all of the city planning right. with, uh, you know, backing up traffic and things like that. So that's an interesting um, angle for, for Montreal is saying, okay, you're able to target what user actually does need this extended time. That's meaningful to us. Other municipalities in Winnipeg, for example, they have audibles on all the time. Every, every crosswalk, every direction, all the time, all the time, 24 hours. Um, and that came out of a human rights complaint, um, and the individual won, um, saying, you know, I don't understand why a sighted person can have access no matter what type of button and all of that. So their solution was, okay, let's just put audibles everywhere. Now what's happening with that is realistically, you can't have audibles blaring at 2 AM in a residential area. So the volume is significantly lower Right now again, we're getting into the situation of nobody's happy. So each city has their own, um, 
you know, their, their own perspective and their own reality. So that's right. really important for us to get to know, you know, get to know the city, get to know how we can service their unique needs. Now, what I would say to your, you know, are they all the same or are they all different? So yes, they're all different, but yes, they're all the same in a way. So yeah. you kind of have different categories, I would say. There's small cities and big cities. So big cities really behave similarly and small cities behave similarly. Um, big cities, there's just more process. There's more people. Sure. Uh, there's more checkpoints to go through, more approval processes, uh, more committees, more decision-making. Smaller cities have less of that. Um, and sometimes from our experience, we've found are more agile, um, to try new things and, and, and to get things through their process quickly. Right. But I mean, it's just logical, right? You know, sure. A bigger city, more people involved. That's just what it is. So you do see, you know, certain things reoccurring based on size. Um, and then, other conversations really based around different themes, I would say. So from a, from the, from a hardware or a, a technology point of view, though, they're all running like all those, all those light standards, all, it, it's all running the same technology in the back end, is, is it not? Or is it different from city to city? Um, so it's a little bit different from city to city, um, but it'll vary in maybe five different ways. Um, so, you know, based on intersection design, so we talked about, you know, and there's some technical terms, if an intersection is on recall, so where it cycles and changes, right. you know, just the, the flow of that particular intersection, you know, whether it's a uh, request for an audible or request for a walk, like if you don't press that button, that walking man will never come on for you. So there's different intersection designs. There is different um, built infrastructure. So there's a few different APS providers that could or could not be uh, already installed. So um, basically different buttons. Um, there's different philosophies on how those buttons connect to a controller and how independent the button can be. So right, each, right. Uh, each city has their own uh, engineering philosophy, but ultimately from a citizen's perspective, there are only kind of, I would say five different ways that you can interact with an intersection differently. Right. But I mean, generally speaking, they're all, there's only a few ways that they can be different and they all have, you know, similarities when it comes to it, but overall city design, we're also speaking, you know, how old the city is, how old their infrastructure is, um, you know, how quickly they have or have not ramped up new technologies. So how many different technologies do they have within their city can sometimes make them different. You know, um, some cities are really fast with deployment. So in, in Ontario, for example, the AODA mandated that. Um, so the AODA is the accessibility for Ontarians Disabilities Act, I believe. Right. Um, and they've mandated that every intersection in Ontario be retrofitted with an APS. So taking that traditional button that doesn't, you know, have an audible or may or may not have an audible and changing it to this kind of fancier button that also vibrates and all of this stuff. So, you know, that does still have its limitations for all the reasons that we mentioned, but is a, definitely a step in the right direction from having nothing at all or just a traditional button. So 
with that being said, Ontario has done a really great job at ramping up their deployment of APSs. So have yeah. a little bit more of a consistent landscape, I would say. Right. Um, so they, again, they are different, but the same. <laughs> right. Well, and I, and I mean, you know, the, that landscape could be changing, you know, in the coming years. Cause I mean, really we need, we need something on a, on a federal level. That's, that's like the ADA, the fact that yeah. there, there isn't anything <laughs> like that yet. And I know they're, they're working on it. Um, but you know, hopefully, hopefully in the next five years, you know, we could see that spread through the entire country, in which case, you know, you guys are, are, are poised in a really great spot, I think, because, you know, especially from a, from a city point of view, well, you know, especially from a, there's, there's the user point of view where it's the usability. And, and I think that, that the fact that the, the benefit of being able to access that button wirelessly, as well as getting that navigation, uh, information. Uh, I see that being a really powerful for the end user. Also on the city level though, you've also got this, this, this data that I would think would be really sort of important for them too, because then they can see which, which of these intersections are being accessed by people who are visually impaired or people who are using the app. And, you know, from a city planning point of view, I could see that being really powerful as well. So, I mean, it sounds like this, it's a really an amazing product. Thank you. And I, I agree with you. I think it's going to definitely help on so many levels. If, you know, nationally we can get behind a particular approach, you know, and it, it's obviously not a particular product, but a particular philosophy I think would be yeah. really beneficial. I mean, nobody spends their entire life in one city anymore. People travel, you know, tourism is on the rise. Canadian cities are super fascinating to visit and are increasingly easier to get to. So when you're, you know, in Montreal and then you want to go to Vancouver and you have a completely different environment, it's just yeah. not pleasant for, for that, that in individual tourist, and can definitely be avoided if we can just all kind of get together and, and come up with a, a, a consistent approach. One more thing before we, before we let you go. Um, you, a lot of assistive technology these days, people are finding there are also a lot of sort of mainstream applications of it as well. And I think you sort of touched on this earlier, but could you talk to, talk to us a little bit about what kind of um, like sort of mainstream scenarios that, that key to access could help with as well? Definitely. Um, so on top of just a few things when it comes to our, our, our product offering and, and other situations where it can be applicable, um, what we do want to create even beyond the, the intersection is just um, a general access to, to, to the city. So uh, an example of that is, you know, let's say you're walking down Georgia and you hit Grandel Great. It's a signalized intersection. You pull out your key to access app. You make the crossing. Perfect. But the next intersection you hit on Georgia is a stop sign intersection. If you're not trained on that intersection, how are you supposed to know that this is a stop sign and not, um, a, you know, a traffic light? I'm, you just have to start searching for a pole or wait to hear if there's enough traffic to kind of give you an inkling that it's stop and go. So that's another example of where we layer on key to access with virtual beacons and specify to the individual 
to the individual trying to make that crossing what type of intersection they're standing at. So with Georgia and Grandel, you know, by getting the buttons, they know that this is a um, signalized intersection. When they get to the next intersection on Georgia, their app will tell them, Georgia and X, for example, this is a four-way stop sign. Please navigate according, accordingly. So they know what part of their orientation and mobility training to activate and understand what to do at that crossing. So same thing with T intersections. Um, if the intersection on the other side of the T, you know, the crossing is over a little bit, you know, sometimes they don't line up perfectly describing right. that. Um, so really beyond the intersection, giving people at every um, crossing engagement. So we're not, you know, a wayfinding app or any of that, but where critical information is required or you need infrastructure to behave a certain way or give you a cue or do something, that's where we come into play. And then also another application of that is doors. So being able to open a door, um, you know, we all see those accessible plates there that are sometimes positioned beside the door, but they're often not positioned in the appropriate place. Um, and that's simply because of the door frame design. It's limited to certain areas where they can physically put that plate. Sometimes you have, you know, picture you're in a wheelchair, you're rolling up to that button, you're pressing the button, and then the door is swinging out towards you. So you have to back up and then somehow get through it before it closes and there's double door situations. And then also for the visually impaired community, it doesn't tell you that the door is open. Right. So, you know, all of that, we uh, have a similar approach using the key to access app, same app, when you get to a door, a button will appear and we'll ask you if you wanna open the door. Um, so that's kind of answering the question by saying, these are all the other things that our technology can do. Now for the, universal, I guess, uh, how, we're, how we're addressing more than just the visually and mobility impaired community, because we really do feel that any step right. to improve accessibility improves everybody's um, environment. So Absolutely. Uh, we've heard from cyclists that have told us, this is great, I'll get a fob, I'll clip it onto my bike, and then I don't have to get off my bike, get to a pole, mothers with strollers, Hmm. Yeah. told us, you know, at different tech fairs, this is great. Like, you know, when I have my kids and I'm holding one kid's hand, I'm pushing the stroller and then I don't want to let go of them to press this button. I can just have that strapped onto my stroller or take out my phone. Um, different people, the, the, the uh, most surprising one to me was um, individuals have told us, yeah, I never touch those pools. They're so dirty, so <laughs> sanitary. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, really, and this is, I think, I know as, as founders, our um, shared belief, any step to improve accessibility and make, you know, our cities designed um, with accessibility in mind improves the condition for everyone. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's just to name a few, and there's probably going to be uh, a lot more different examples that we get as these become uh, increasingly deployed. But, you know, I don't see why we can't take this as an opportunity to discover all those different types of, of ways that accessibility can improve, you know, the, the lived environment for everyone. And I think, you know, all of the improvements that we're making, even when you're talking about ramps and um, 
having things be more uh, with visual contrast. I mean, that can help everyone. And even for me, having uh, something on my phone that's convenient in my pocket, I would even use. So uh, yeah. I don't know if that's kind of the type of question that you were asking. No, absolutely. That's that's exactly. Okay, great. One other real quick technical question. Uh, what's the range on them? So uh, it's customizable. So when the city installs the receiver, okay. they cap the range at what's appropriate for that intersection. Great. So depending on how far the pole is from the curb, the idea is in our installation guide, we ask them to cap the range at the curb. So you want the individual to be, you know, in their best position when they make the call. So for, for people out there that are listening to this and, and think this is an amazing idea and they want it in their city, what can they do? Yeah, no, uh, that's a great question because we really do see the power of engaging with the community and the request kind of coming from the locals. So if it's something that interests you, if you have any questions, by all means, please contact us. Um, you can contact me personally at Sophie, S-O-P-H-I-E dot Aladis, A-L-A-D-A-S at key2access.com. So the two is a number two, um, or visit us on our website and we'd be happy to answer any of your questions. Now, if you want to reach out directly to your municipality, we definitely encourage you to do so. Um, it's always meaningful for them to hear directly from their, their residents. Um, if that's through your local representative, or if you have any contacts in your accessibility committee, or even sending, um, a message to uh, your traffic department is also another um, interesting avenue. So any way that you can reach out to to your city representatives, um, and you know, based on your your individual contacts as well. But uh, if you ever want to reach out to us, um, we're we're here for that, and we'll be happy to answer any questions. So sorry, what's the uh, what's the web address? Oh, yes. Sorry. It's key2access.com. Listen, thanks so much for, for joining us and chatting with us. Let's have you on again uh, down the road, maybe once we get a little bit more traction and uh, and uh, and see how things are going. Yeah, we'll hear about how you've you know become super wealthy by you know, all the Canadian <laughs> cities and have expanded internationally. And, you know, well, and well, you know, we'll for sure reach out to you guys um, if we get a pilot project going in Vancouver or yeah. anywhere in um, I think it would be really great to share those locations. With yeah, please do. Please do. And it's been super fun. And I'm also very proud of us. We made it an hour on the dot. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Sophie. Thanks, Sophie. Take care. That is super cool. That's a lot of data points when you think about buildings and doors, you think hospitals and dental offices, like all these points of entry, right? If you're looking at buildings, not well, just if you're at, signals. If but... you're looking at doors, I mean, sure. I mean... Yeah, I, I mean Wait, that's that a that's a whole data. that's a whole other world there. Mm -hmm. um, but really, I mean, the you know the intersection data alone for a city would be incredibly useful. Like I don't know, I don't know what kind of access to data they have in terms of of those uh, signals. Like, do you think that it tracks every time that button's pushed? The uh, ones that have cameras probably do. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't. I don't really know how the how yeah. that works. But I mean. Talk about an easy way to, to get some mm -hmm. some uh, demographic, uh, you know, some some traffic demographics. Yeah, 
you know, it's incredibly valuable, I would think. So to, you know, on a city level. So, you know, just that alone. Uh, and then you, you know, you put on top of that, the, uh, the navigational data, being able to, you know, approach intersection and have know exactly what intersection mm-hmm. you're at. Cause yeah. <clears throat> you know, well, what type of intersection, like she was saying, you know, you don't know if the one you've just approached has a stop sign, you know, maybe it's not a controlled intersection, right? Maybe there's no traffic signals. Well, you don't know. yeah. And I mean, that's the whole point of, of mm-hmm. O and M instruction is yeah. that, you know, you learn a route and you mm-hmm. have to do that because you don't have access to right. that. You don't know what intersection you're at unless yeah. you know the route, mm-hmm. you know, as, as somebody who's visually impaired. So yeah, and GPS systems can give you some of that data, but when she starts talking about, okay, you know, what if it's offset a little bit or, right. you know, what if there's an island in the middle of the, mm-hmm. of the road, those things, they don't show up as right. part of GPS yeah. instruction. So that's, it's an incredibly important information to yep. relay as yep. well. So <clears throat> awesome. Yeah. It's just an, an awesome idea. So yeah, it's very well thought out. Uh, again, I'd be, I'd encourage anybody who's listening, uh, you know, contact your municipality, tell them about them, uh, and let's see if we can, you know, get get them in more and more Canadian cities. Or heck, you know what? For that matter, I don't even know. We didn't ask her if uh, they're they're restricted to to Canadian cities or not. So, if you're if you're one of our American listeners, reach out to them anyway. Reach reach out to them anyways, because you never know. Um, you know, this is uh, it's a great idea. I wish I would have thought of it. <laughs> I could be sitting on a. Sitting in Tahiti right now. Yeah, you're still thinking about your hot chocolate hot tub, aren't you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have all kinds of ideas on a Saturday night at 1130. All right, Coco, time to wrap it up. (laughs) All right. uh, Hey, Bubbles. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? They can find us online at atbanter.com. They can also drop us an email if they so desire, atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. And rumor has it that there is still an AT Banter uh, presence at uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter. AT Banter and AT underscore Banter, respectively. And Instagram. Don't forget Instagram. Yeah, and Instagram, too. Hey, Steve. Hey, Coco. Uh, where can people find Canadian assistive technology? Uh, well, they can find me at www.canastech.com. That's C-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com. And uh, what about uh, Chaos Technical Services? Chaos Technical Services, that schmuck named Rick, who's off on vacation right now. Yeah, he's in Africa. Lucky yep. bum. Uh, he can be found at uh, chaos tech at shaw. No. <coughs> no. Wait, oh, wait, oh, sorry, you're giving the email address? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I stepped on that. Go ahead. Oh boy, yeah. So Rick can be found by email at chaos tech at shaw.ca. His website is www.chaostechnicalservices.com. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's right. Isn't it just? Mm-hmm. How about that? Uh, anything else, fellas? No, what I heard? What? What'd you hear? Heard Winamp is back for Windows 10. Really? Winamp is a new app for Windows 10. Really? Does it still whip the llama's ass? I don't know. I haven't checked it out yet. I had to format my computer. (laughs) How can it possibly... It's back. ...possibly compete with Groove? (laughs) That's Uh, probably why it's back. Yeah, probably. (laughs) That's right. Oh, dear. Well, don't even get us started on Microsoft that's right. uh, today. Cause... Better get my keyboard fixed before you go. So let's go. All right. all right. Okay. All right. No pressure. Uh, <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening once again. And uh, we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. <laughs> get out. Get out quick. Get out. <laughs>
This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com. Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take.